0: It's the Weekly Show with David J. Maloney. This week, David chats with actor and impressionist Jim Meskiman. And now, here's your host, David J. Maloney.
1: Featured guest tonight is a fantastic actor, voice artist, and master of impressions. His incredible career has placed him in so many major comedy series over the past 20 years that he's worked with just about everyone who's anyone in the industry. His recent dramatic work in films and shows like Frost Nixon, Gaslit, and Hunters has introduced him to a whole new audience, and you can currently find him in his recurring role of Cary Hubbard on Apple Plus's The Big Door Prize. Here to chat about his incredible career, comedy, and everything else in between is the wonderful Jim Meskimen. Jim, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much, David. It's nice to be here. I'm sorry I'm so underdressed, but... uh... (laughs) <laughs> Feel a little bit like I'm meeting with my attorney. But, uh...
1: Well, well, the irony is that's that's my that's my other gig. So, so okay. that kind of fits in. So I often start off asking guests about their childhood and hometowns to kind of help my audience get to know each guest's roots and how they eventually found their way into their respective professions. Now, I, I know you weren't raised actually in Hollywood, but you were kind of raised around Hollywood. What was life like growing up for a kid in that environment?
0: the environment that we could call Hollywood is more transcendent than that. And and certainly uh, since my mother was a working actress uh, who worked in Hollywood herself, even though we lived in a suburb and I still basically live in the same place, uh, you know, you feel like you have a connection to it uh, as much as anybody who actually lives on Melrose say. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I grew up in an environment where I, my mother, who, who became the iconic uh, Mrs. C on Happy Days, but who was just a struggling actress when I was most of my childhood. Uh, my mother raised me and my sister here, mostly as a single mom. My folks were divorced when I was eight. And uh, she was a great, great mom, very different from Mrs. C, Uh I I don't know anybody that was really raised by Mrs. C, although a whole generation of people think that they were raised by Mrs. C, which I find kind of amusing.
1: So and your mom did she did work alongside some of the greats in the industry from time to time, like Cary Grant and Tony Curtis to Clayton Moore and Donna Reed. Did you have any conception as a kid as to how kind of special that was well, I didn't know
0: so much about the older performers for quite a while, you know, and then I now, of course, it's like, oh, my God, you work with Noel Coward and, and uh, Clark Gable and those other ones you mentioned. And it's it's kind of staggering. I mean, she went to Humphrey Bogart's house one time for a, a reading and like, you know, it's it's never to be repeated kind of uh, event. But uh, I did know that I guess by virtue of the fact that she was an actress and on TV, I did know that she was kind of special. There weren't a ton of kids at my school whose parents were in show business or that I was aware of anyway, in my grade, let's say. So so I did feel kind of like a little, just a little bit of like, mm, my mom is kind of special, but nothing nothing crazy because she was not a, a well-known name or face, but she had been on pretty much all those shows in the 60s mission impossible the brady bunch you know long street the endless uh, string of detective shows and westerns that that really uh, make up the the menu of the 60s and 70s prior to happy days so yeah it was sort of i felt like we had we had a little bit of sparkle on us
1: now when i i guess you were in your mid teens when your mom was cast as as Marion cunningham on, on happy days what do you remember about when your mom got that role? I mean, do you remember how you guys found out about it? And did you guys did you guys have a feeling that the show was going to be a massive success at the time? Or or was it just like any other new show? We'll just hope it clicks and cross our fingers.
0: Well, of course, uh, I, I, th- I think I was 12 or 13. So pretty young, not knowing much about the business, really. Didn't know what a pilot was exactly. So we didn't... And I don't think my mother was terribly gended on it either. She was... I'd done a lot of TV, but um, she hadn't done a lot of pilots, hadn't been up for a lot of big jobs before. And the way that Happy Days rolled out, uh, I learned later by reading a book by Gary Marshall, who created the show. And he goes into great detail about those times and what actually happened, what the progress was of that project. And, you know, it didn't just like sell and then become a series. It actually languished for about a year which is a pretty long time, and kind of died and then got resuscitated with the success of American Graffiti, which also starred Ron Howard. So by a bizarre turn of events, uh, it it went from being a totally unvaluable piece of content to something that was intensely valuable. And and so we didn't obviously know what was going on with all this stuff. and, uh, you know, I only found out years later, but i do remember watching the first episode when it was a, a proper series and we went over to my mother's manager's house and we watched that and it was kind of kind of cool you know but no inkling that well this will be the opening of a to the gateway of a whole new life which it essentially became for my mom and for my family and you know it just continues continues to to boggle the mind a little bit how how much that series and and that character, her character, means to people still, and uh, that they still have a lot of love and affinity for, for what she represented.
1: Uh, did, is Was it there that you made an initial connection with Ron Howard, or did that come later?
0: No, no, that is exactly where I met him. I mean, I met him on the set of Happy Days at Paramount Studios. I met him and, and Don at most, and Anson Williams, whose wedding, his second wedding I just went to this weekend with my wife, And uh, Henry Winkler and Tom Bosley and all those guys. And I met them just, you know, working guys, very young. I was, you know, as I said, 12 or 13, I can't quite remember. And Ron was probably 18, so... (laughs) Yeah, that's where I, I made friends with them. And, you know, I was just a kind of a kid that occasionally came to the set with his mom. And uh, later on, I was lucky enough to audition for Ron. He knew I was an actor. He'd seen me in some things. And then he had invited me to audition for a movie. And I, I wound up doing five uh, different films for him.
1: When did the creativity bug first hit you growing up? Well, I've been a, uh,
0: I, uh, a recipient of, you know, creativity, whatever, if you want to call it the the muse or whatever, I've been involved with creating things ever since I I can remember. So the great thing about Marion, my mom, who was probably similar to Marion Cunningham was that she indulged and tolerated my creative urges and my impulses. And, and I think fostered a lot of them too, you know, introduced me to things, took me to museums, gave me, you know, pencils and pens and crayons and, you know, uh, not so much musical. My, my dad was more musical, but Marion was very uh, visually oriented and, and theatrically oriented. So, voices, dialects, and things like that, and cartooning and all that stuff, she definitely encouraged me. And when I went, I guess I demonstrated an affinity and an aptitude pretty early. And I, I really thought I was going to be a cartoonist illustrator. And I, I worked very hard in that area and as a visual artist. Uh, prior to really making a commitment to to acting. I, I worked as a professional and I, I still draw and paint today just for my own pleasure.
1: Were you always good at impressions or did that come later?
0: Well, <laughs> as a four-year-old, I wasn't so good. I just didn't have it, you know? Okay. Tried, tried. Did uh, The Cowardly Lion. And uh, I remember when I was about seven or eight, maybe, and Tiny Tim was very big. Remember
1: Tiny Tim? Yeah, with the guitar and the. It was a
0: ukulele and yeah, and, yeah, and, and and stringy long hair and a big old beak on him, and he he was a really unlikely celebrity who just dominated, this, this, certain shows in the '60s, and and he, he would play and sing, and he'd say play these old, you know, tip public domain songs from the '20s. he did like through the tulips or something. through the tulips. tree, and I remember as a kid trying to imitate him and being able to do it pretty well because of course he sang in falsetto and as a kid it was not very far to go so you know i i i've always approached impressions out of curiosity and a wanting to know and a wanting to feel what it's like to be like that person and that's why i still do that today so it turned out to be something that although i didn't plan it at all uh, it turned out to be a way to make a living
1: Do you have one that's your personal favorite
0: I tell you what, I do that uh, George W. Bush quite often, <laughs> on account of he was a, a famous president. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I like doing the one that at the moment that feels like it's fun to do and that, that gets a rise out of people. Well, I tell you, people love Robin Williams a lot when you do Robin Williams, they get a kind of a little, well, their heart skips a beat a little bit because he means something. And it's funny that he got his start on my mom's show on Happy Days, Mork from Mork, his, his first appearance. <laughs> But lately, I've also been doing an awful lot of Patrick Stewart because uh, people have a lot of fondness for Patrick Stewart. And the older I get and the younger he gets, the more we tend to look alike. So I've got that going for me.
1: And you've got some, I mean, real fan favorites in your arsenal. Obviously, Robin Williams is one of them. And it seems like everybody's got their own Christopher Walken. But yours has kind of aged with him, right?
0: Yes. I, I mean, I have the advantage of being just, you know, I think he's probably 10 years older, maybe. But I've, uh, you know, for whether it's the way my face is growing or or my mind is dissipating, I, I find we, we link up a lot more than we used to.
1: Jim, when did you decide you actually wanted to make show business your, your own career? And was your mom at that point like, gung-ho on it or or because some some showbiz parents are maybe try to talk their kids out of it and what was the feeling there
0: i think my mom understood very well uh the pros and cons and she was always very encouraging <coughs> excuse me so i i've never felt anything but total support from my mom and and she's demonstrated that in many many ways and my sister too i believe has gotten just she's a writer producer and has always gotten and was an actress also so we we've both of us pretty lucky to have her as a mom as far as being an artist. You could be an artist and be stuck in a, a completely different family that did not understand what you were doing, and that would be tough. But we never had a, ba- a battle to fight with mom. So, But I didn't make a commitment to being an actor or a performer or an impressionist or anything like that uh, until I was in my early 20s, and it became apparent to me that um, the path that I was on, nothing wrong with the path, I was a, a studying uh, art and painting, in particular, in Spain, and I'd been doing that for a couple of years, and I really dove deep on it and uh, learned to paint and um, really, really struggled to to get some knowledge out of it. And um, And I looked at my life, and I, it was like, I just, you know, this is really lonely. <laughs> I think I need a more social thing that I like to do. And that is acting and uh, and performing and doing plays and doing, you know, ensemble work. And uh, so I I shifted gears rather dramatically, moved to New York. And although I supported myself as an illustrator, cartoonist, uh, an artist in general, I I was pretty much focused then on getting an agent and getting out and doing jobs and getting in movies and getting on TV shows.
1: Did you do the comedy circuit thing like a lot of people?
0: I didn't. It was a, a golden age of stand-up comedy at that time in New York City in the 80s, the mid-80s, and a lot of our the, the comedians that we love came out of there. Jerry Seinfeld came out of there and a lot of guys that are just iconic. But stand-up comedy was not, although I admire it and I respect it, it wasn't my path. Uh, I didn't want to be a stand-up comic per se. I've done a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with an impressionist and stand-up comedy. You, you do tend to create jokes and every now and then. It's good to have a little funny monologue or a story and stuff like that. And that is definitely the realm of stand-up comedy. But I, I didn't like the environment. It wasn't, I didn't feel, you know, I'm spoiled, I guess. I like a theater where everybody's sitting and looking at you and nobody's eating or drinking. <laughs> <laughs> or they've had, they've had, and now they're going to let you, you know, and there's no waiters going around saying, I can't make change for this right now, honey. I'll come back to you. I, I, I don't want that in my environment. So uh, I did improv, which is more theatrical. and uh, We did it in a theater. And uh, that was rejuvenating and, and inspiring. And I got a lot of great sort of creative energy from from that activity and learning how to do that and performing just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows.
1: I thought I read somewhere that Ron Howard went to a show where you may have done an impression of him. Is that was that is that a an accurate did you know he was would've... there while you were doing the impression uh, or did you find out after the fact?
0: You know, I I did know he was there, but I it sort of just skipped my mind. Uh <laughs> I I did a I do a bit uh, I still do in my show where I do a Shakespeare monologue in celebrity voices and people call out different names of different celebrities while I'm doing it and I just change 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 and Ron Howard was on that list and I think while I was doing it when it occurred I was like in somewhere in the free space in my in my mind that I was thinking oh Ron is actually here. Hmm. I wonder what he thinks of this, but he's always been really gracious. He's heard my impression of him a few times and uh, on on recordings and stuff. I did it for family guy one time and uh, he's always been super gracious and supportive. He's, he's a very wonderful guy.
1: Now, if I'm not mistaken, it was in New York city around that same time that you went in for an audition for a film called the paper, which would be directed by none other than Ron Howard. What's the story there? Did you expect Ron to actually be there or no?
0: I didn't. I I knew I had the audition. I knew it was for Ron, but when I walked in and he was there, I was like, "Wow! Oh, hey, hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm good. I didn't know you'd be here. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm I'm uh, you know, in town, so I'm just I don't know and that. Uh, I, the thing I remember about it was that uh, there was this piece of vital information that I didn't have you know, every actor when they get a set of uh, sides, they don't often get the whole script of a of a movie, particularly if it's not a huge part and I had a little just a little nice little cameo scene and so I had the two or three pages from the script that that I'd audition with and there wasn't a lot of extra he was described as you know a kind of a a gray man in a gray suit and you know, it was like this, I think he was a lawyer and uh, no offense, this particular character was not a flashy gray suit like yours, not a nice looking, uh, you know, you got the picture of a guy who was kind of beaten down or not, not quite uh, uh, at his best. So I didn't know much else about that. And I knew that he was hitting on this other character in the scene who later was played by Marissa Tomei and who was married. Okay. But he's still kind of, Kind of flirting with her a little bit, and and so when I did, I did, I did the audition for Ron, and he said, oh, "It's good, Jim. It's good." Um, uh now you know she's uh, she's eight months pregnant, and I was like, "Oh no, I didn't, I didn't know that. That's that's an interesting piece of data. You yeah. know that that changes the scene tremendously. Dynamic. He's not he's not just a guy who's hitting on a a, a woman. He's he's hitting no. on a woman who's eight months pregnant. There's something really wrong with this guy." So uh, I tried to make this adjustment, you know, and and whatever, I, I did whatever I did. And he also said, uh, maybe, uh, I think I've read it three times. And then he said, uh, now on this one, uh, you know, you're in this bar. So uh, maybe you could feel the alcohol a little bit more. Like, okay, good. You know, I, I understood that. And I don't think I really pulled that off terribly well. But I walked away from it thinking, okay, note to self. You know, I wrote, I wrote notes on the script pages. I was like, okay, do your research. Find out everything you can about yeah. this character. Find a, Get a hold of the screenplay first. You know, do all these different notes to myself. Like, in the future, uh, when I don't want to tank an audition, this is what I should do. And then, like, a month or so later, quite a bit later, I was told I had the part. And I was really shocked. Really, really shocked. But it was was really nice of Ron to throw me that. The scene turned out pretty well. It's a fun movie, not one of the famous ones, the paper, but it has everybody in it. Uh, My God, uh, uh, Jason Alexander's in it. Jason Robards is in it. Other people named Jason are in it. And Marissa Tomei, Glenn Close, and of course, Michael Keaton. And it's a fun movie. It's got a lot of, as I remember, it's got a lot of spirit to it, a lot of velocity.
1: How quickly after the paper did you get the call from Ron for Apollo thirteen? And did you have to audition for that, or did he, based upon his work with you on the prior project, already kind of know that he wanted you for that?
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I never really had to audition for Ron again. Uh, subsequently, I had meetings sometimes, but it was it was not an audition kind of situation. Uh, Apollo thirteen is a like nineteen ninety, but maybe two years later. I, I don't think. That must have been his next film after the paper, but I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, yeah, a little while, little, not too long, not too long after that. I, if The way I remember it, I called Ron about some other thing, but that may not be right. Uh, anyway, and he said, oh, I'm doing this movie called Lost Moon. Uh, it's about uh, astronauts, and uh, we're looking for guys to be in mission control, and maybe you could be part of that. And I said, <laughs> you know, of course, I'd love to. And it was great experience working on Apollo 13. I really, really loved it.
1: And another incredible cast. I mean, wh- I mean, I was trying to think of what the energy must have been like working on that set. I mean, you're and you're so close together. I guess for so many takes. I mean, you, Ed Harris, Clint Howard, Brent Cullen, Gary Sinise, and of course Ron directing. I mean, that that had to be an incredible experience, no?
0: It was great, and and you also felt like uh, it was a project that was bigger than just a movie. It was about this is about you know something we're all proud about, mankind. The 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 evil you know, villain that we're all fighting against here is not some maniac. It's the physical universe. It's oxygen. It's gravity. It's, it's these things that, uh, you know, that we have that, that pin us to this planet. So it was inspiring. I always felt like we were doing something I, I did anyway. Is this is like, this is important. It's an important story to tell. It's a good story to tell when it's on TV. It's hard for me to not watch it. Cause it's like, even though I know, I know the ending, we all knew the ending going into it, but we're
1: still like, what's going to happen. It's the power of cinema. From there, you've gone on to have quite an accomplished career working in film and TV and some of the most popular comedies uh, of the past 20 years, and, and including um, several episodes on Parks and, and Rec. Um, what comes to mind? Do you have a favorite memory from working on that show? That's obviously a fan favorite for a lot of people.
0: I love Parks and Rec. It's a fun show, really well written. Uh, it was one of these shows that... Um, the network didn't really mess with too much, you know. There was not a lot of committee activity, at least that I could see. And so the scripts are just silly and insouciant and fun and original. And uh, uh, anyway, I, the thing that I take away from that experience because I, I did about one episode a season, I think, so seven episodes, something like that. And uh, I wish I'd done more, but I, I, I didn't. I, I think if I'd known what a great show it was a little earlier. I probably would have campaigned and lobbied to be on it more because uh, it really would have been worthwhile. But the thing I took away from it was they would always, I was generally playing, a, well, always the same guy, Martin Housley, who was generally emceeing some kind of an event. And so uh, when you when you have a part like that, they often need a lot of extra stuff that you say, to run under the other performers as they're, you know, being talked to in other scenes, you know, cause they, they're at the event. And so we hear this drone of other things going on. And so they would let me improvise a uh, long, long, long speeches at an award show or something like that. And of course I really feel very comfortable improvising. So I would go on and on and just say all kinds of silly stuff that very little of it made the air, but you felt like, you know, I'm improvising for a TV show. This is exactly what I want to be doing
1: was Chris Pratt still in the cast when you were filming?
0: Yes, he was. He was I, uh, I
1: was just cu- kind of curious if he is as uh, hilarious and unhinged on set as the blooper reels of the show make him out to be. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, very funny
0: guy, very I mean, he latched onto this sort of uh, character of uh, a clueless, you know, uh, big puppy kind of character that's and he performs it so well. Not easy to do. And uh I, I when I first met him, he was kind of heavyset and, uh, you know, sort of shy, but very funny and and, and friendly and great on that show.
1: I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I was thinking you might be one of the better people to ask, considering your pedigree and all the different comedies you've been in and and voiceover work you've done. Um, what do you, what do you consider to be some of the best comedies of the past 10 years? I mean, do you have a favorite? I mean, you've been on so many within that timeframe.
0: Yeah, you know, I uh thanks. You know, my sister was one of the full disclosure, my sister was one of the writer producers of Friends. Friends is a kind of a bulletproof comedy. I mean, we watched all of them. They're fantastic. Uh, I was on I was on an episode, but I really wasn't a fan of the show. I I just knew it was a big show. Uh, but I didn't know all the ins and outs of Monica and Chandler and everybody. Uh later on, I watched it all. I was like, oh, this is this is an amazing show. Uh so I have to say Friends is is really one of the top freaks and geeks, great show. Not a lot of people watched it. Wonderful, wonderful, heartfelt comedy, and one that we watched. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of great, a lot of great shows, but um, another one uh, is from the UK that stars uh, my recent friend Chris O'Dowd. There's a show called the the IT Crowd, which is wonderfully funny and silly and wild, and I like that a lot. I mean, laugh out loud funny, so. That's one I recommend highly.
1: Um, Before we move on to the exciting work you're doing right now, I wanted to ask you about your role on How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, Was that one where he just simply called you up and said, hey, I want you to play this part?
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. I I, I was offered uh, the role and uh, what a fun experience. I worked on it for four months, which is a really long time for a movie, but it was so... Uh, you know special effects heavy there were all these makeup tests and uh, it was a really unique experience because it was just just prior to a lot of the better cg stuff being developed so most of it's practical uh, as far as the, the costumes and the faces and stuff like that um, so you know we spent three hours in makeup every day minimum And uh, everywhere you looked, there was some magnificent artisans work, you know, from the costumes. Everybody's costume was just gone over. You know, this is a big budget movie. So they were paying a lot of people to do really great work. Money was not a question. The set designs were all the production was just incredible Uh, and uh, and just fun. Great actors as well. You know, Jim Carrey doing a fantastic job, even through quite a bit of discomfort, and actors who I've seen going on, gone on to great, great other shows. So it was a wonderful experience. And uh, I, I, you know, I, it was, it was super fun. And Ron, Ron was, I think, having a ball.
1: And Jim Carrey is another one of those people who can kind of morph into anyone. Um, did, did you guys ever get a chance to, to chat about, you know, impersonations or any of any things that you guys had in common? I can almost see you guys, you know, impersonating different people with each other envisioning something like that but
0: not at all not not <laughs> even for a minute you know he was in a lot of discomfort and he was the star of the movie he was trying he was carrying the movie and he was carrying it in you know in a big suit made out of yak fur he had full scleral eye caps he had two sets of teeth and uh, you know, and then all the prosthetics on top of it. And it was just not pleasant for him. I mean, he had so he famously went through quite a bit of agony going through it. So he was not chatty. And uh, also, you know, with these big stars, you don't, you know, you don't want to take up too much of their time. You want to let them do their work and support them as supporting actors and not try to buddy up with them too much. And, and he was not, he was not in the, in the buddying zone.
1: You get in, do your work, get in, get out.
0: Yeah. 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 Yep.
1: Um. How did um, your gig with Whose Line, uh, is it anyway, come about? They came
0: to New York, the British Whose Line. They came to New York to look for improvisers, and they landed at our theater that we had at the time, which was called the National Improv Theater on 8th Avenue. And uh, our group, Interplay, had been performing for a long time. we have been doing everything, improvised musicals and improvised stand-up comedy and improvised soap operas and just everything, and just going to town with it. And uh, they were impressed, and so they uh, they hired me and my pal Christopher Smith to come on their show, which they shot in New York. They shot a few a few episodes in New York City. Uh, they brought English cast over, and we shot with them. And you know, at the time, I was very kind of my nose was really up in the air about the whole thing because we were doing fancy things with improv, and they were doing I don't know. It just seemed like silly games and not very challenging. Uh, and and anyway we didn't know from this show. This was a little show in England. Nobody knew from it in the United States. So uh we kind of I, I kind of did it and sloughed it off. And then it has survived uh to haunt me ever since. Uh, luckily I think we did some pretty fun stuff in it. And I did quite a they knew I was an impressionist. So they they had me do Captain Kirk, I think, at one point, and uh, different uh different characters. So it was fun.
1: Moving forward a bit, you've gotten to do some really cool work on shows like Gaslit and Hunter. What interested you about moving into these more dramatic offerings?
0: Well, you know, I've been doing a lot of comedy, but uh, dramatic work is tends to be a little more nuanced. It's different kind of characters. And I don't know, since I grew up in this theatrical household where my mother did both, you know, she would do Happy Days and then she would go off and do... Uh, long day's journey into night, you know, <laughs> very heavy dramas. And so I appreciate that the the human instrument can be used to play all kinds of music. And so I, I, I am interested in dramas, particularly well-written dramas. Um, I, I've done also kind of police procedurals, and, you know, those are not as interesting to me. I mean, they're a little bit formulaic and maybe not as brilliantly written or capturing of the human spirit or whatever. But I don't know. I like to do all kinds of work and, and stretch and see if I can tackle this or that. So when a show like Hunters comes along, where I play a German judge who is at a tribunal who is uh, sentencing possibly Adolf Hitler to life imprisonment. This is of interest to me. I'm, uh, I'm tickled, you might say. And in uh Gaslit, I played a real senator, Senator Gurney of Florida. And uh, that was some nice scenes, you know, dramatic scenes. And uh, this was a guy who's not a nice guy, was, uh, at least in the movie anyway, or in the show, is doing in Martha Mitchell uh, in a very underhanded way. So I like to capture that, too. And I, I was just delighted that I got chosen to play such a part.
1: I mean, your role... Is uh, opposite of that of Julia Roberts and Gaslit, and you've got some just some really great exchanges with her in in the series. What was it? What was it like working with, with Julia?
0: Well, I was really looking forward to it. Uh, I loved working with Sean Penn. That was a lot of fun. And then then Julia oh, Roberts. the makeup of Sean
1: Penn is insane.
0: Yeah, and that was the same makeup artist who uh, uh, applied uh, makeup on The Grinch uh, to uh, Jim Carrey uh kazuhiro is his name and he designed uh also gary oldman's terrific makeup for the winston churchill movie darkest hour so yeah when i met sean penn i didn't i did not recognize him because he wouldn't so good but when i worked with julia you know she's a big star you know again i don't want to i don't want to waste her time i just want to do a good job and uh, but the funny thing was we were so par- far away on that set. It was, they recreated the Senate, the Senate chamber where we were doing the scene and she was a good 20 feet away. And even though she's got a little microphone, you know, like kind of like this one, she's got a microphone. And the the conceit is that it's being amplified through the place, but really wasn't uh, she had, they were recording her separately. The microphone didn't actually function. So I was like, I, I would say my lines and then I would peer, to see if she what was she was she done talking i can't quite hear her so it was like almost having a conversation with julia roberts and, and that's happened to me a couple of times where you go wow that i see the reality of this is they don't need this kind of microphone and this kind of sound they need the wonderful clean movie sound and they don't give a damn if i can hear or not <laughs> it was tricky but she was she was very uh gracious
1: well, I mean, I, we had Eric, her brother, Eric on the show um, oh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, geez, one of the sweetest, nicest people. Um, I mean, you can know, you know, it, that just, it just comes from good parenting. You just know, I mean, it's yes. just, there's no way it doesn't. Um, so uh, on hunters, you were saying, you know, you play the judge presiding over the trial of Adolf Hitler. I mean, it doesn't get any more dramatic than that. Pretty dramatic. Uh, I mean, and, and what a concept. Um, what was it like diving into that role?
0: It's fun uh it's super fun and they they found this amazing location up in Simi Valley that is like this it's actually I think it's owned by some synagogue it's a big Jewish Center and this huge round concrete building that looked amazing and I'm like yeah this would be the kind of place you'd want to have a tribunal something like this this is uh just dramatic looking um and uh the the weird thing that happened with that one is I auditioned and I got the part and I was like, wow, this is so exciting. And, uh, and then they, they said I was going to work on a Monday. And so on the weekend, I thought, well, good, I will, I'm going to rehearse the heck out of this thing. And, you know, I'm really going to get it down. And, but my wife and I will go to San Diego where we sometimes go and my mother has a, a, a house down there and we'll relax. I'll rehearse. And then on the Friday as we're just about to leave, they said, we made a terrible mistake. We need you right now. And I went, really? And where where are you? And they said, in Simi Valley. It's like 40 minutes away. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to drop everything. Yeah, we need you as fast as you can get here. And there's a thing called the actor's nightmare. And that's where, and I've had it all my life, and a lot of actors get it, where you suddenly find yourself on stage and on, with an audience, and you're not quite sure what the play is. And you'd know that you'd rehearsed it, but it's like, has anybody got a copy of the script? Well, this was like the real life actor's nightmare. Cause I drove like a bullet out to Simi Valley. They hustled me into makeup and wardrobe. They hustled me onto the set and they said, I don't, we don't have time to rehearse. Uh, but it's scene 32 and I got scene 32, Jesus Christ. And I've got these, these script pages. Luckily I'm on the dais with all the judges and I can lay out some little papers because I was like holding on for dear life, like, what's going on? And they were rolling the camera, and I, I had no idea what we were doing. And after that point, everything was fine. But right, and, and even that take was probably pretty good, because I could say, ah, objection, overruled.
1: <laughs> well, and, and and but your improv background, I'm sure, had to help somewhat. <laughs> A little. <laughs> A lot. Um, so you're currently working on Apple Plus' The Big Door Prize, which is being... Uh, produced by some of the same people who made Shit's Creek, one of my one of my absolute favorite shows, yeah. well, probably one of the best comedies of the past five years. How did your casting for that show come about?
0: You know, again, fortunate. I we do all our all our auditions from home these days, most yeah. of us actors. and so I turned in a tape and they called me back and they liked my Irish accent a lot. and so I got to play uh, Chris O'Dowd's dad. and uh, it was a great honor and a wonderful treat, actually.
1: What's it like working opposite him? He's another guy who I feel like has an incredible comedic timing and and kind of body language.
0: Well, I have spent time with Chris, and 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 uh, I love him. He's great. He's very funny. Very. He's a good actor. You know, he's a good comic actor, but he's a good actor. He can do all kinds of colors, and um, he's not. He doesn't come from stand up. He comes from theater and goes off and does plays, and uh, I. I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's terrific. He's screamingly funny when he wants to be. He just has this kind of warm, this irresistible kind of personality. And and they're making full use of it with this show, with the big door prize, where he plays this, this teacher who in the small town, who, you know, his destiny is really, he gets this destiny card from the morpho machine that tells him that he's going to be, that he's a whistler. What does that mean? And he's trying to figure that out. And everybody's changing around him and he's trying to find his bearings. And it's it's, uh, it's very fun. Uh, we just finished shooting season two, uh, even though season one just started uh, airing and is, I think almost all released now, maybe one more episode comes out next week. Um, so hopefully we'll have season three, four or five, but it's a, it's a fun, very original show. And I don't know, Probably some people it's not their cup of tea, but I think it's really pretty charming.
1: You've employed now not just in this interview, but on these shows, a different accent in each of the shows we've just discussed, Irish and a big door prize, German and hunters and kind of a different kind of American dialect, definitely from your own and gaslit, right? Which one is the hardest to do and what is required in order to get it right?
0: Well, obviously, I I specialize in ones that I feel comfortable with. The uh, gaslit one, uh, this character was Edward Gurney, and there was not a lot of video to study of Edward Gurney, but I knew that he was from, uh, had spent some time in upstate New York and also was down in Florida. And these little samples that I heard of his voice reminded me very much of the actor Joseph Cotton. And so I thought, well, maybe he's sort of skewing Joseph. I'm going to try to do Joseph. And that was my end for him because I just didn't have enough research material. And it's, it's, I think it sounds pretty convincing.
1: No, no, it definitely sounds, sounds authentic. Now that this actually kind of seems like a good leadoff to plug, your fantastic new course, how to become a working actor. Tell us a little bit about what made you decide to put that course together.
0: Well, I got approached by a company that does these things online courses and uh, you know I've been a working actor for better or for worse for thirty five plus years and I so and I' i I know what I've done to get there. you know, I've actually kept notes and uh, there's certain things that I apply over and over again to keep working. Uh, it, it's easy to get a job or get a part in something. It's more difficult to sustain it over the long haul. and there are various challenges that, that happen like that. Uh, so, yeah, I created these courses, which is a series of videos and ebooks that contain pretty much all the successful actions that I have employed in my career to be a working actor. I don't know how to tell you how to be a star. If I did, I would do that, uh, you know, and then I'd write about it, I guess. But, um, if i had time but I, I do know how to be a working actor and keep working and keep your business going and prospering and uh you know so that you can raise a family and uh, get out of some of the job that you don't like so uh yeah it's at jimworkingactor.com you can find out all about it at the moment uh and uh yeah people people have been telling me that they appreciate it that it has good information that they can assimilate easily it's also pretty entertaining i think i make it pretty accessible
1: I know I saw you recently as Dr. Nicholson on Young Sheldon. What <laughs> else? What else should we be on the lookout for with you in it in the in the upcoming future?
0: Well, if you haven't seen Welcome to Chippendales, I appear as Phil Donahue in Chippendales, which was, hey, that was a whole other kind of voice and character, and I don't know, just the hair piece and the whole deal. Uh, and also I just got back from Chicago where I did an episode of Chicago Fire, just a little scene in that nice of them to have me and i i enjoyed it very much could go to chicago for the day and then season two of the big door prize which will follow at some point uh, season one
1: jim thank you so much for joining us I, I mean it's been it's been a great pleasure uh ladies and gentlemen the always entertaining jim Maskiman.
0: thanks so much